Hi, this is Neil Funk, and you're listening to Fred on the Chicago Bullseye. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Chicago Bullseye, and we have the roundtable here. Three illustrious guests of three different generations of basketball fans. We have the great Michael Colucci. Hey, everybody. The only thing I need to know, Fred, is where my agent sends the invoice. Stuart Lazarus. Hello, millions of fans. Can't wait to get into it. Gabrielle Blackwell, one of the the best women players in the history of the state of Illinois. Thank you for joining the Chicago Bullseye. (laughs) If anyone else hears this, they're going to call me out so bad. They're like, that was was so 2007. Get out of here. Well, you can Google it. I've seen it. It's true. (laughs) Three generations of Bulls fans uh, with, with different perspectives on what we've watched, the glorious episodes of the last dance and now we're going to cover seven eight in this episode so we're going to start out we're going to start out with you uh mike colucci uh the first question what was your biggest surprise what was the biggest revelation for you in watching episode seven and eight that was easy that's an easy one fred that's a layup when uh the documentary asked scotty pippen how do you feel 26 years later and he said i do it again i, I was flabbergasted that he didn't kind of fess up and say gee i was young I was immature. I made a mistake. If I had to do it again, I'd support my teammates. I thought that was a, it was a great get by the documentarian, uh, but pretty eye-opening for a top 50 player in the history of basketball to not admit that he badly let down his teammates. Agree 100%. Today is actually recording this on May 13th, the 26th anniversary of that play. It still haunts me to this day. I can't believe it happened. Luckily, Tony hit the shot, and Scotty was able to rehab his reputation in the same series by dunking on Ewing in Game 6. Let's go over to you, Stuart. Stuart, same yeah. question. What was the biggest surprise or revelation in Episode 7 and 8 for you? You know, I think for me, it's the people who just don't believe what happened to him, and that was uh, Gary Payton's comments about Michael Jordan, um, and that he had him and he owned him, and that when the switch happened, they, get, they did it, and then Jordan's reaction I thought was the best, um, because Gary Payton, great defender, one of the greatest in NBA history. He was going up against the best player that's ever lived. And uh, to me, it just, I, yeah, he might have been a nuisance to him, but he wasn't going to let, Jordan was never going to let anyone beat him. I love that scene. It's been a groundbreaking part of this doc, I think, where you actually get to see the reaction as they watch on their, you know, on yeah. their iPad. It's been a great touch to this documentary, something I haven't seen before, and I absolutely agree with you on that one. Gabrielle, what say you? What was the yeah. biggest revelation for you in episode seven and eight? So I, so like during the Bulls prime time, right, the Jordan era, I was just coming into my age of awareness. So what's been really surprising for me has been like really coming to terms with how much of an asshole Michael Jordan was like as a teammate. So um, I would say the most like surprising story was the interaction or the conflict between him and Steve Kerr specifically um so so yeah it's, it's been like a, an interesting um an interesting experience like having this idealized 
version of MJ that I'm so used to and like seeing kind of like the real practice MJ and being like, oh, wow, he'd be a terrible person to play with. Or like, I don't I don't even know if I love basketball at all, seeing how much he like loves, respects and is almost like obsessive about the game. So that's probably been the most surprising thing to me. I want to touch on this for one second before we get to the next topic. All of us on this call have played some level of athletics. Did any of you have a teammate? We'll start out with you, Gabrielle, go to Stuart, and then go to Michael. Have a teammate like Michael, and do you feel that that type of leadership is is even possible today? I don't. I'd like to get your opinion. Um, I'm, you know, I think when I played college ball, um, I mean, there's been other sports that I've played where I felt like we had um, kind of the senior leadership on the team, and they tried to – like motivate through coercion almost or mm-hmm. intimidation. And I know for me personally, I'm not receptive to those type of things. So that to me sounds like a misalignment in, in leadership. Um, but I mean, yeah, like I, I never played with anyone at the level like of MJ. So it's kind of, it's kind of hard to say like, all right, would it work or would it not? Um, that being said, I think what I'm observing today is uh, there's a lot more, um, focus put on to like emotional intelligence or an emotional quote uh, quotient of some sort so that that might not work with today's time yeah you know i had people probably like in the early 90s that i played with uh soccer and they were very demanding and very competitive um i don't think anyone reached the level of mj but to me i loved it because it was a challenge right and i think that there's a lot more um things around today that just you don't take that approach. But back then, uh, even like to the way basketball players play today, right there, it's a little bit softer, but like if you watch the Jordan years or watch that, you see a lot of physical play and with a leadership style. I mean, I was always challenged. And to me, that's how I kind of came to my level and just pushing myself as much as possible. You know, in fairness to uh, my co-panelists, I was at best, Fred, a mediocre player. Mm-hmm. And that was on my good days. And I never had the, the fortune. And listening to what Gabrielle said about uh, having a, a player to the level of assholery that Michael Jordan was. I mean, and, and I'm in total agreement with Gabrielle. But it struck me as I listened to him. Uh, if you think about in the last 20 or 25 years, not, not the good players, not the great, but the transcendent players, Tiger Woods, Barry Bonds, Michael Jordan, three of them, all three of them would, would fit in that these guys are jerks. And I'm wondering if you want to get to that level of greatness, I certainly never did and couldn't come near it. But if you wanted to get to the level of greatness that Michael Jordan is, you have to have some level of egocentricity, some level of uh, I am the greatest and nobody's going to stop me from getting to that place. Um, I, I, I never had a teammate like that. I think I would have strangled one if I did. I've had some teammates that I thought I didn't particularly like, but not to the extent. One last comment I'll make. Uh, Generally, time eases all pain. And typically, teammates look, when they look back to those kind of championship years, they look back um, fondly on them. When you get guys like Will Perdue say, the guy was an asshole. This is almost 30 years later, and they're still talking about it. I I found that just incredible. Um, I'm sure there'll be more questions about what you find – uh, what we want to find more of, but never had a teammate like that, and I certainly wouldn't have enjoyed playing around them, that's for sure. Well, I'm definitely more from Stewart's era. I think this type of leadership was far more common in that in that time time period, and I'm sure, Mike, in your time period too, 
as it is today. Like Gabrielle, in, 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 in generations now, I think this type of behavior would be really kind of uh, frowned upon by head coaches today. Just my opinion. I know, I know it would be for me. Um, you know, where I think the, the new generation leaders like Tim Duncan and look at a lot of great players, Steph Curry in the NBA today, I don't think this type of leadership would really go over at all. Uh, but that's what makes it so unique. It makes them so special. What do you want to see in the, in the last two episodes, episodes nine and 10 that you haven't seen so far? Let's start out with you, Gabrielle, in this. Yeah. So I think what's been interesting has been this like lead up to, um, throughout each, uh, throughout each episode, it's kind of this lead up to like, okay, well, when does the Jordan era end? And when does like the new, like when does the changing of the guards happen? And so there's been all this alluding to those type of things. So I'm, I'm, I'm more so curious and interested in how um, the last dance is going to portray kind of the closing of the Jordan era with the Bulls team. Um, again, like I feel like I'm uh, just now getting exposure to like this level of history and being able to actually be in a place where I can understand it and comprehend kind of the cultural significance of it all. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, every episode is exciting, but more than anything else, uh, I'll be interested to seeing what the, the depiction of the closing out of, 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 uh, of Jordan's the Bulls looks like in episodes nine and 10. What say you, Stuart? Yeah. So I think for when it comes to watching this whole series and having it wrap up next week, what I'm looking for is I, Jordan has always talked about me me, 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 and what other people did wrong. Um, basketball is a team game, and I hope at the end of this, there will be a soundbite of something where he's going to be like, yeah, I led this team, but I couldn't have gotten there with without it. And the only person who ever kind of came to his side so far is probably Dennis Rodman. He's like, Michael knew what he was going to get from me because Dennis was willing to go to that level with him. Yeah. But I would love to just see like at the end and, and him realize that, yeah, I led the charge, but I had a lot of people help me on the way. Well, I, you know what? It's interesting, Fred, is um, first of all, they should rename the documentary as Michael Jordan's Last Dance because it's so Michael Jordan centric. And that's OK. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I have to be honest. I think the first eight episodes have been spot on, fun to watch, eye opening. Uh, they've gotten lots of, of honest uh, of, of opinions from a lot of different people. I mean, it's really been an incredible eight. So I can't see. Uh, nine and ten being much different and I and and it's not like they missed anything in my eyes and Gabrielle and Stu I mean I grew up as a Knicks fan and morphed into a Bulls fan I told that on one of Fred's prior podcasts so seeing one of the great things I think you're seeing is young people saying when I say young I mean like five-year-olds six-year-olds ten-year-olds saying just literally literally the greatness of Michael Jordan he's been incredible um so there's nothing that, that, that they've done in the first eight episodes, Fred, that I could say, wow, they really missed this. I need to know more about it. I think it's been spot on and really just a fun watch for the first eight hours. Yeah, yeah I, I have to add, Michael Jordan throughout the 90s had uh, 26 series. He won 25 of them. He lost one series. The one series that he won that I thought there was a great chance he would lose was the one they're about to talk about against Indiana. Yeah, that, that was, was a close one. Exactly. Won seven games. And the hero of that series, or one of the heroes, the only only guy who I really feel has been really not given his proper due has been Tony Kukoc so far in this documentary. I hope they focus on his contributions. So far, it's really been two parts, how he got embarrassed in the Olympics, and then the 1.8. That's it. Yeah. And he's really, to me, he deserves much more of a focus than he's been given. 
So uh, I hope he does get his due in the final two. Let's look on to better or worse. So better or worse is a question I'd like to ask the round table. Um, I'm going to throw out a player and give me your feelings on him. Is he better or worse after watching the doc? So a couple players I'll throw out an example for me, Scottie Pippen. I actually feel better about Scottie Pippen after watching this doc. I've never been in the camp of he's a, he was a top five player during his time with the Bulls. There was only one season I felt that could have been true was in 93-94. He's a great player, great on defensive end, but I never felt like he had that, that clutch gene. However, it's clear after watching this documentary that every player on that team who played with him loved him. Uh, from Michael Jordan to Steve Kerr to Judd Bushler to Bill Wennington to Tony Kukoc, I've heard nothing but stellar reviews of Scottie Pippen as a teammate. So I, I think actually, actually for me, he's his his uh, overall is, is better than it was before I started this this doc. But let's start out with Michael. Uh, we'll start out with you, Michael. Do you feel better or worse about Michael Jordan? It's a really hard question. I feel worse about him. I, I you know I, I I could never say boy I, I like Michael Jordan. I will acknowledge, and this is the Knicks part of me just bubbling up internally. It's clear. The Knicks blood coming out where, like, I hated that guy. I'm not talking about, there was a visceral dislike of Michael Jordan because he was so great. I mean, we knew we were never going to beat the guy. So I, I, I can't seem, I'm having trouble. I'm calling it worse. I'm having trouble divorcing the Michael Jordan um, casually trashing guys. I think he was a bully, not on a, the basketball court, but in, in a personal level. Like, you know, making those comments about Scott Burrell when they're filming. And Burrell, you can see, is really uncomfortable. So I'm going to go worse. Stuart. All right, I'm going to go better. Um, I, you always kind of heard these things about Michael Jordan and the, the people didn't like playing with him. But he was a winner. And I love the way that he won. Was it through the Knicks, through the Pistons, through the Celtics? Like, I mean, the guy did – he persevered to win at the highest level and he wasn't willing to give it up. At any cost. And to me, that's awesome because you always want to get knocked down. And he never got knocked down. The closest really was was that 1998 um, Eastern Conference Finals against Reggie Miller and the Pacers. Mm -hmm. I mean, that team was really good. It was a good team. The Bulls were kind of on their last leg. But, I mean, he just persevered. And I I think it's better. I love this. I love it. Gabrielle. So, I, I feel better, I think, about Michael Jordan. Um whichever episode it was when they were like, hey, Jordan, the, ty uh, the tyrant and the Jordan rules and things like that. Um, I, I was always just, I was just curious about like what that was about. I feel like what we see with Michael Jordan is that he's much more complex, right, than just the player that you see out on the court. Um, you know, that being said, though, like talking about the dickishness that he's ex exhibited with his, with his teammates. Um, and I know I made the comment of, I don't think that I would have been as receptive to that kind of interaction or that dynamic. But at the end of the day, like the rate at which they're winning, there's a certain point in time where you go like, Hey, listen, that something is working here. So if we're winning year after year, wearing big old Rocky diamonds right on our fingers with these championship rings, um, it's like easier to tolerate those things and look back at it and say, you know what? It might not have been what I would have wanted it to be ideally, but it worked at the time. So I think I do feel better about Jordan learning more about kind of like what his perspective was on why he did what he did, how he did what he did when engaging with his teammates. Uh, I, yeah, I agree. Michael, I think you're, you're a Knicks fan. Right, I think is, I'm outvoted. I, one. I'm, I'm, I, there's no doubt. Podcast, uh, <laughs> Listen, these, I, I'm, 
Yeah, everybody, everybody's opinions valid here. Oh, not not, uh, not on this suck. one. <laughs> yeah. And one last thing, uh, just remember, Rick Smith, that that center from the Indiana Pacers, went flying to my alma mater, Marist College. Oh, there just you let go. Let everybody know. The yeah. Flying Dutchman. I the flying I, <laughs> I do have to say, I have to add. You know, I think, like I said, Michael, I think your Knicks fandom is is affecting your decision making process here. <laughs> There's been so many times where I've watched the interviews where I've just. I didn't think it was possible to love Michael Jordan more than I did before this series, and I, I just love him more. I knew all this stuff beforehand. He's tough on his teammates. But I really think the end game, what, what, what was the reason for it? Was it out of a cruel hatred or a streak inside of him, or was it with a desire to win as the end game? And he forged them in the champions through the fire of his competitiveness. And, you know, guys like Bill Wennington, Steve Kerr, Judd Bushler, these are limited players. They're not great players, and they proved it after they left the Bulls, with the exception, possible exception of Kerr. I think he, he really brought the best and the most out of everybody, and it's clear. He yeah, did I mean, it for you could say that about the Celtics. They had limited players. The Lakers had limited players. No. They all had three Hall of Fame players uh, that, that kind of pulled them forward, and then they had lots of guys who filled out the, the lineup. So, And everybody seems to forget the first six years, Michael wasn't known as a winner. He, was, he wasn't. As a matter of fact, he was known as a, he probably he can't win because he can't make guys better until the real villain that they're showing in this pot, uh, in this documentary, Jerry Krause, got players around him that enabled him to to, to win those six championships. So yeah, uh, I counter. I, again, I, I my argument is always Michael Jordan was ready to win titles in 1986 when he scored 63 against the eventual yeah. NBA champion. He didn't have – he had garbage around him. And Pippen and, and Grant weren't ready either, you know, for the first two years. And they showed yeah. it in a, in a disastrous game seven in 1990 against the Pistons. So It was a journey. Yeah, it was a journey. Yeah. And, he, and he said, you know, grab on my cape. That's exactly what they did. Let's, uh, let's go to another player, better or worse. Let's go with Scottie Pippen. And let's start out with you on this one, Gabrielle. We'll go up the generational ladder. I think starting out when they started off, whichever episode it was, and he sits himself out, I cannot imagine doing that as a player. Like, I, I, it's a little – it's hard to fathom, like, taking myself out of the game, especially at the last second. It made me reflect on all the times that I heard coaches tell me that I was letting, like, my teammates down if I wasn't able to make a practice. Right, and I was just like, "Wow." Um, uh, so I, 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 I like want to say that I'm neutral, but I think specifically to that, you know, like I, that made me think, like, "All right, hey, like, is Scotty the wonderful, good guy, right? That we would all imagine him to be, um, you know?" But I, I also don't want to like judge him based off of that one specific moment. So uh, I, I'm neutral. I'm gonna say neutral. Neutral. Okay, yeah. Stewart. I'm gonna say worse. Um, when they when the documentary first started. I was like, wow, they're just really ripping on Pip here. I mean, they are just showing all the bad things that he did throughout his Bulls career, but not showing a ton of great stuff. And then the the moment happened for the 1.8, and Kukoc hit that shot. But I think for me, it really became worse when Bill Cartwright, they said he was in tears, like yeah. after the game. And he's like, Pip, how could you do this to us? How could you do it? And he could say he wasn't thinking or whatever. But, I mean, to me, that's worse because, I mean, we've all done sports. We've all done things in our careers, you don't drop out on your teammates. You just It's the number one thing if you're playing a team game. And uh, it, it, it doesn't sit well with me. And um, I don't think he had a lot of remorse for it either. Michael. And I didn't know neutral was a choice, but I have to tell you, Gabrielle, <laughs> I'm thinking neutral isn't bad. Leaning a little towards the worst side. 
I um, watching them in the '90s. I was much more of a Pippen fan than a Scotty uh, than a than a Michael fan. I really loved the way he played. I, I love the fact that he shared the basketball. He was the first guy, and and even Steve Kerr acknowledged the fact, said he was a guy who'd come over and help you and and pat you on the back. Michael Jordan, you know, we all know what he would do. He'd kick you as hard as he could in the butt. Um, but th- they they liked him as a teammate. Those two, the migraine game, uh, and and that one point eight seconds. I, I can still see where I was on my couch when they broke the huddle and came out because I was still kind of a Knicks fan and there was no Scotty Pittman in my first life. Is he hurt? Did he hurt himself? And that's right. why he came out. And then after the game, everybody found out he took himself out. And it's so hard. I mean, what did he play, um, Fred? 14 years in the NBA? 13, 14 years? Yeah, 87 to about 2003. Uh... He was a top 50 player. I don't know if he still is, but he was a top 50 player. And the thing I struggle with, Stu and Gabrielle, is the, do I let that 1.8 seconds kind of dominate the other 14 years that he played? But still, I, I tend to I tend to fall on a little bit worse because, man, your teammates are everything. I, I mean, I'm such a believer in that, that the, the great teams come together and fight through adversity and, and, and support each other. And that guy, all he thought about probably was my ego is hurt. Um, you know, and, and ergo, I'm going to sit, he didn't quite say it like this, I'm sure. Ergo, I'm going to sit on the bench. But so I'm going to lean just a nick towards uh, a worse. Yeah, I definitely have it t- towards the better for the reasons I outlined before. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he's portrayed in this last two episodes. But yeah. I think I've heard that he is not happy with his how he's been portrayed. But it ain't what? been good. No, no. But Michael, I counter. I counter. You know, there's the there's the the migraine game. Um, there's the he missed the two free throws that allowed Reggie Miller to beat the beat the Bulls in the Indiana series that they might probably get into. I mean, there's a lot of times where he just didn't have that clutch gene. He was fantastic right. defensively, but when it came to hitting shots that mattered, like Michael did consistently, he just didn't have it. Let's go on better or worse for Phil Jackson. Let's start with you, Michael, and go down the generational ladder. Better, actually. I, I mean, he, he's smart enough to play at KG. I think one of the hardest things to do from a coaching standpoint is not win the first one, is to motivate your players to win the second and the third and the fourth. Because it's human nature to say, ah, oh, we've scaled the mountain, we've gotten to the top, we see what it looks like. Take it easy. Maybe take a summer off. Now, he was fortunately had the greatest of all time, who refused to take a summer off and forced his teammates to, to work out harder and practice more and be better prepared. Um, but I, there's a lot to be said for a coach who understands how do I motivate my guys to win the next championship? And, yeah. you know, he could have bad mouthed Jerry Krause, Doug Collins, but he was, uh, he was circumspect. So I'm going to say like Scotty was a tick below worse I would say he's just a tick above, and he's just slightly better. Would say you, Stuart? So much better. I mean, as someone who leads people in my life, I mean, he had so many different personalities that he had to manage, and he got them to be one cohesive unit, but he also made them all understand individually what they were trying to achieve. And and to me, just in life, I think that's so important. And he did it in so even-keeled. And even, too, with, like, the thing that he did with Pippen, He's like, all right, he doesn't want to go. And Pete Myers, get it into the game. As my son turned to me when we watched it, he goes, who's Pete Myers? <laughs> and so <laughs> it's like, uh, it, it, to me, I have a high level of respect. You have a goal you need to accomplish, but how do you get 
the team to hit that goal, but then each individual. Gabrielle. Yeah, I will say too, Fred, oh, one last thing is I have a boss who doesn't understand the compassionate, sensitive <laughs> side of, of the Palooch. So tomorrow when I get into work, I'm going to have to tell him that. So, yeah, I, I, I'm in, um, I think I'm the same boat as Stuart. So I feel, um, yeah, better about Phil Jackson, definitely. And as someone who's also like leading a group of people, uh, I think one of the hardest things to do is managing all the different personalities and they're all in like all of their individual expectations and aspirations. And like, what do you, like, what do you do when one person is expecting one thing or they want to shine or they want to be the star? Um, and just balancing that, right. Or helping people adjust and cope in the moment. Um, while keeping, you know, these higher priorities that we have in mind. Um, so what I can appreciate most about Phil Jackson is really just like his, um, it's not just being a, like a winning coach, but really a coach who's able to attune to the individual needs of each person on that team. Um, but all, it, while also paying attention to kind of like the overall morale of the team. So in one of the episodes, right, they go golfing, like they're like, Hey, everyone take some time off. Um, I think it's really good when you have a leader like that who can uh, be a little bit more, um, I don't want to say lenient, but uh, provides a, a longer leash. Understanding. Understanding, yes. <laughs> well attuned. <laughs> Agreed. Leaders I, with your attachment styles, yes. <laughs> he, he, I agree, too. I think Phil's been more impressive. He clearly has the love of his players and – I think that's a testament to what a job he did as a head coach, and you know, show, he showed a lot of you know a lot of rope, giving letting Rodman go out to Vegas. I can't imagine many <laughs> coaches allowing that, um, and it, it definitely helped to have a player like Michael Jordan there and his reputation and weight. But um, you know, to keep Rodman in line, it didn't work in San Antonio for them, but it worked for the beloved Bull. Not, one more better or worse before we wrap things up. Jerry Krause, I'd like to get your opinion on that. Let's start with you on this one, Gabrielle. You know what? Uh, I saw I saw some meme um, about. Uh, do you remember like the the alien from Space Jam, kind of like the fat squat one, who was essentially like the <laughs> yeah. kind of like mastery type of person? Uh, someone put up a meme that said, "Oh, like this character was um, based off of Jerry Krause." So like that was my expectation. For him going into watching Last Dance, but this is also my first time being exposed to who Jerry Krause is. And there's like nothing, from my observation, the way that he depicts him, there's nothing good about him. So I, I feel like it's always been worse and it stays worse. Um, I do think that he is very talented at finding like the right people to put on the team. How he goes about that um, seems a little bit off to me, though. So I'd say worse. What say you, Stuart? Uh, so for me, it's worse, but you do have to give him some credit because he pulled off the Cartwright-Oakley trade, which was huge, and then he did the Tony Kukoc thing. The thing is, I just don't understand why he wouldn't like, just let it ride and like see how this thing goes because the Bulls could have gotten two more championships out of it. Like I think they had two, two more years, and I just think it was he was so wanting to be in control that he was only detrimenting himself. And then look at what happened. I mean, he brought in Tim Floyd – um, and the Bulls just became terrible. And it was, and the city was so behind this team. It was, it was so behind this team. And just that one person destroyed it. And to me, that's, uh, that's worse because Phil Jackson would have coached, just would have had a Pam. Reinsdorf would have paid him. Jordan, too. Like, I mean, they would have done it one or two more years. They might have gotten knocked off by Indiana. But at the same time, I just don't understand if you're winning, 
why take it away until you need to adjust and make the change? It just mm. seemed like a disruptor, like an unnecessary disruptor. And it was, there was always a thing about the organization and the company and the front office. And it's like, yo, you have players on the court. Respect yeah. the players too, you know? Yeah. So they it, just it, never did. They were too, yeah, they, were, they were pieces. It just seemed like he never really had like respect, really like almost like for the sanctity and the purity of good basketball for good basketball sake. Yep. What say you, Michael? I, uh, I'm with uh, my, my two um, pod mates. I, I, I say worse. Winning championships is really hard. And Stu, you are absolutely right. I think they had a shot. It certainly won, probably two. You have to ride that horse as hard as you can. Um, championships are hard to come by. I, that poor schlub let his ego get in the way of, of this great team making the announcement that Phil is done. Organizations win championships, not players. And he knew the kind of personality that Michael Jordan was, and he couldn't subsume himself. You know, who knows what lies in the heart of man? And that poor guy, I think, probably grew up five foot five his whole life, looked in the mirror and saw a six foot four point guard and never got to that point. And he let his ego get in the way. He let his ego get in the way of, I think, Stu, you are right. Two championships they had a good shot at. And think about that if they won two of them. That would have been eight out of ten. I mean, that cemented yeah. them as the the greatest team ever. And they're arguably they are the greatest team, but that would have they're probably neck and neck with the Celtics of the fifties and sixties. But that's another podcast. Um, worse. So I'm with my my teammates on that one. Yeah, I, I, I get some words ahead, of wisdom. And uh, before we started, and schlub is definitely my word that I've learned today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and schlub when you close your eyes and think of Jerry Krause, that's no, how, that's the definition. Well, I gotta say, you know, it, for me, it's neutral. It couldn't get any worse. So I knew all this, a lot of this already. I, I, I do realize that he was, you know, completely to me. The, he was the Yoko Ono of the of the Beatles breaking yeah. up. And he was the whole reason they, that this happened. So, uh, you know, trying to justify it or blame it on anybody else. As soon as Michael tied his future to Phil Jackson. You cannot tell Phil Jackson, I don't care if you're 82 and 0, you're gone. You have yeah. to put your, your pride aside and make sure that Phil Jackson is paid as much money as he wants until Michael and, and, and the rest of the team fall on their shield. That's what the shame about this is. To me, it's a tragedy. And I like your opinion on this statement. Like, to me, it's a tragedy. If you look at all the great heroes in history, Muhammad Ali, look at all the great teams or great players, all of them had a chance to fall on their shield, to go out on you know, losing as opposed to finishing and then not getting a chance to defend their title. Yeah. And I can't think of one team or one person that didn't get that opportunity. And uh, the Bulls were just, you know, they should have had a chance in 99. One I more. I agree. And it's a shame it didn't. So I consider it to be a tragedy. What say you, Stuart? Sounds like you, you want to jump in on that too. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it is a tragedy because when you have magic in a bottle, you got to try and keep it for as long as possible. And when you lose, you you look back at it and figure, okay, this is what happened. Even like with the Warriors last year when they went through it and ended for them. Um, granted, they'll probably be back, but at the same time, it's like how do you keep that nucleus together? I don't understand where why you wouldn't like tinker with things, find different role players, but keep the core together. Blackhawks did that for a long time too. And yeah. I mean, now those people are a little bit past their prime, but I just, I just, it, it disappointed me because I mean, not being from Chicago and not having a lot of championships like the Bulls did. Um, it just, it's a shame. Yeah. I tend to, tend oh, to think it's a, a 10 year window that you have, Fred, and that's it. And he, he cut it short two years too, too soon. 
Agreed. Um, so, so I don't know because like, again, like I feel like I'm just now getting, um, getting acquainted with like bowls at a time where I can actually understand the significance of it all. But as we were talking about like, you know, Michael Jordan being a jerk right to his teammates and kind of like the heckling and things like that, like to an extent, Jerry Krause was doing the exact same team to the exact same thing to the entire team. Yeah. Right. So, so there it's, it's interesting. I think just to kind of like compare those two experiences where you have Michael Jordan who's basically saying, listen, if you can't stand the heat, right, you're not going to make it. And, and it's almost, to an extent, right, I feel like that kind of attitude might be highly influenced based off of the person who's the GM of the of the team, right? So, I mean, it, it, it does, I'll, I'll see what happens next, right? Like, well, next weekend, um, I definitely would be in the camp to say, hey, you know, like, if you have a good thing, like, keep it going. Why not? Like, if it, if it fails, it fails and you learn from there. But to not give it a chance seems like a... Um, a stolen opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like to compare it to, you know, it's really hard to find an analogy for this, but if you imagine like some of those great family vacations we've had, I've had one like with my kids where we went to Disney world and it was, we knew it was like a five day vacation and you're three days in and you've just had the best possible time. Imagine what it would be like to say, Oh, you know what? We're going to cut this short and just go home. You know, as great, as great as those three days were, you're still going to be bittersweet and feel bad that you didn't get the other two days. And I, as someone who lived through that era, I could tell you in 1997, 98, there was always that in the back of my mind that, Oh my God, why are we breaking this up? Why is this our last dance? This should not be our last dance. You know, what is, why can't anyone step in to stop this? And that's what it felt like. It just, it breaks my heart in retrospect, but that's absolutely true.